Well, welcome everybody and Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. I know we just prayed. I'm going to pray again for us and I'm going to jump right into our message that I titled, O Holy Night. I originated that. Just kidding. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and we are so blessed by you and we're so thankful and what a blessing it is to just come and gather together and worship all together, Lord. And as we eagerly anticipate the celebration of your birth tomorrow, we're excited uh, the night before. Just imagine how you were excited before you came to come and save us. So, Lord, as we just consider what Christmas Eve means, uh, will you just prepare our hearts? Will you speak to us? We're thankful that we've had over 2,000 years to celebrate this, and, and we don't want it to get old and stale, but also we don't want to look back in the past and hold on to just old memories. But yet, will you speak to us afresh and anew? So we thank you, and we love you. We pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word, and whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it'll be a, a little bit different. Um, which, uh, as a preacher, you're not supposed to say up front that you're uncomfortable, but I'm uncomfortable because I'm not starting out with Scripture, and I think this is the first time ever. So Merry Christmas. But I was just considering, um, Christmas is obviously wonderful, and it's a special time, and um, I know that uh, Christmas is on a Sunday, and you think, whoa, what are we going to do? Are we going to go to church? I'm People have church, some people don't. Should we go to Christmas Eve? Should we not? And, and uh, then I was looking at the pattern because I'm a bit of a nerd and thought, oh, it goes five years, six years, five years, 11 years. So we won't have Christmas on Sunday until 2033. So you're welcome. But, but as we consider this special time, I, I know for me, I'm always excited to jump towards Christmas. As soon as it's December 1, I feel that it's okay to have a Christmas tree up, even though our Christmas tree has been up for a long time before that. But, uh, but eager anticipation. And, and if you join us on Sunday mornings, a lot of times halfway through a series, I'm already excited for the next series and just want to jump to the next thing, the new thing, the exciting thing. Just like as I was a kid, I was always excited to be a teenager. And then when I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to graduate. I couldn't wait for college. I didn't even start college. I was in junior high thinking about it. But for Christmas, and we just as we consider Christmas, it's a time to reflect on what Christ has done. And we are so thankful, and we should be so thankful, that we live in a generation that looks back to an event that happened. Can you imagine if we were gathering together, perhaps as Jewish people, waiting for the Messiah to be born? But we are blessed to be able to look back and see that Christ indeed was born. And looking back can be so much fun. And if I ask you right now, what was your favorite Christmas ever? Think about it. It probably didn't take you that long to come up with it. You could probably name a few or maybe just that one. Or if you're that type of person that needs more qualifiers or breakdowns, can you tell me your favorite Christmas as a kid, as a teen, when you were single Married, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. And looking back can be so joyous. And personally, as a kid, to be honest with you, I hated Christmas. 
I was sick four out of five Christmases in a row and ended up in the ER. Or one time I was injured because I blame my brother. But I, I, I just, I was always sick and I always had to go get a breathing treatment and I had asthma and it was awful. I couldn't wait. The doctor promised me one day I'll grow out of it. Well, when? But finally, whenever I had a Christmas at my grandparents that I was able to enjoy, that was exciting. Or perhaps some of you have come here tonight hoping for a familiar message, familiar scripture. You're hoping for a very specific song that you sang however long ago. Very nostalgic. Perhaps you even put up your grandmother's Christmas tree, hung up the light bulbs, watch your energy bill go up. But yet sometimes looking back can cause us to get stuck. Perhaps you say Christmas will never be the same now that you fill in the blank. But as I was considering this and looking back and attempting not to get stuck, my favorite song during Christmas and probably actually my favorite song all year long is Oh Holy Night. And just to give you some background, just to consider as we are looking back, first we'll go back to 1847 before we go about back 2,000 years ago. But a Frenchman in 1847 was hired by a priest in a small town in France to write something, a new song. His name is Placide Chapeau. He was asked to write a song for the Christmas Eve Mass. So in 1847, in a horse-drawn carriage on his way to Paris, Placide composed the poem that we know as O Holy Night. And he had the words, but he didn't have the melody. And he struggled with it. And then finally, this Frenchman went to a composer who happened to be a Jewish man. And he asked him to write the melody to the great hymn that we sing every Christmas. So in 1847, at Christmas Eve Mass, this little church in France that had less than 30 people estimated, was the first time the great epic hymn was sung, O Holy Night. Shortly thereafter, Placid decided he was going to leave the church, and he struggled a little bit. And after he struggled with what he was going to do with Christ, and if he was real, the church decided, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't sing this song. And I know it's hard to believe, but there was tension in the church. Should we sing this song? This guy doesn't even come. We don't know where he stands with the Lord. What are we going to do with this great hymn now that we love it? So for a while, they actually outlawed the hymn. They refused to let it be sung. For a decade, the hymn was kept alive only by the French common folk, perhaps only 30 people singing it in French. They sung it until 1857 when a man named John Sullivan Dwight over in the United States of America heard the song and he knew French so he translated it. And the reason why he says he translated it is because of the line, chain shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. So he grabbed the hymn and he went to his church, he went to his pastors and they began singing this song. Now we're in 1867, and he just loved the declaration of the freedom that we have in Christ. And the hymn was slowly 
introduced to more churches. So now fast forward to 1906. There's a man named Reginald Frinsden, a former colleague of Thomas Edison, and he was in his office one evening experimenting with the microphone and telegraph that he and Edison had been working on, and he didn't know if anything was coming through, but he decided to give it a try anyway, hoping maybe someone would hear it. So, where do I begin, he wrote. If I'm going to say something, it better be worthwhile. So what did he read? Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And he went on and he read the rest of Luke 2. And the people on the other end, who he was hoping, they then sent a post to come in him and said, we can hear you. Keep it going. Well, should he go on to Luke 3 or maybe another thing? But he was unsure. So he thought, well, if they hear the message, maybe we can sing the message. So for the very first time, a voice could be heard over the radio waves. And to his astonishment, ships started to hear. No longer were they hearing dot, dot, dash, dash, dot, dash, dash. If I said a bad word in Morse code, I apologize. But Friesen decided that what would be good instead of reading Luke 3 is he would go and pick up his violin and he started to play a song. And he guesses what the first song ever on the radio waves was? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I'm just kidding. Oh, holy night. Can you imagine that you are on a ship in the open sea and you're so used to hearing dot, dot, dash, dash, dot, dash, dash. And then all of a sudden you hear a violin. And then you start to recognize, oh, holy night. Can you imagine the first time music came through? Can you even imagine the first time that you heard music? Probably grew up with music. And it was this song, oh, holy night, that declared the worth of humanity. That declared that the value of people that said that change shall be broken. So as we consider this, my hope this evening for our time is I want to go through some of the stanzas and some of the verses of O Holy Night and connect it with some scripture and perhaps bring out some things. Indeed, this is my favorite song and it, it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I loved it. I loved the melody. I loved singing the words, and, I, and it always felt right in my bones to sing it. And then I realized, well, do I know what I'm singing? Sometimes I just get lost in it, and I love to sing, but I'm awful at singing, but I still sing. That's why I sit in front. You're welcome to join me. But as you consider this, as we walk through this, just consider these words that this Frenchman wrote down that we are singing now over 100 years ago for an event that happened over 2,000 years ago. So let's just consider, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Straight from Luke 2.8, I have it there. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. It was just a regular, ordinary night. But that first line, oh, holy night, what made it holy? What made that night holy? What makes any night holy? It's Christ. 
Our Savior is coming. It had been roughly 400 years since the world had heard anything from God the Father. So many generations had not heard from a prophet. An eager anticipation of a Messiah was to come, but when? As we considered earlier, looking back, we can look at the story, and now we are eagerly anticipating when Christ comes and takes us home or calls us home one way or the other. Yet we can point to the past and say, yep, it's a holy night because our Savior came. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Tomorrow, if you're joining us for Christmas service, we'll be talking about what it means to be, to have been a shepherd. But as we consider O Holy Night, the eager anticipation, because Christ isn't born yet. So what is going to make it holy? It is Christ. And then the next line goes, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Genesis 3, 17 and 18 explains why the world is in sin. And God says unto the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Let's just consider sin. I'm assuming we know what sin is, but sin is missing the mark of what God desires from us. Even if we're off just a smidgen, it's sin. We have sinned. No man has, is without sin. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But error, error, what does it mean to error? It means that the world is sitting in our error. The world didn't sin, humans did. But more pining. What does that mean, to pine? It's not a term that we use anymore. I don't go around saying I'm pining or I've pined for something. But it, what it really means, it's, it's suffering a mental and physical decline, especially because of a broken heart, because of what you've done. So let's consider that real quick. Long laid the world in sin and error for what we have done. So what makes Christmas holy? It is Christ. And why did he need to come? Because of our sin. Until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. It's perhaps my favorite line. Soul finds its worth. I think it's a bit challenging to consider how to measure worth or how worthy something or someone can be. Let alone when we are talking about souls. Never mind souls, just considering how you measure worth and what is valuable to you. In some ways, it's simple economics. Not necessarily how much something costs or what the price tag on the item is or if it's Super Saver Tuesday. And you can continue on with that understanding and consideration about the supply and demand. But some of the other difficulties with finding worth is who gets to place its value? Who decides it? Where, where are you trying to determine how much something is worth? What is your scale? 
Have you ever been to a garage sale and someone was trying to sell their great-grandfather's whatever that they found in the garage somewhere and they thought that it was worth a ton of money and it was just an old rusted whatever? But no one was willing to pay. And if it is one of those estate sales, then you consider, well, maybe I'll come back on the last day and the price will go down. But they're so determined to keep that price up because to them, what was once their great-grandfather's is of great worth. Or on the opposite side, sometimes people try to sell things less than pennies on the dollar just because they don't see any worth in it. And sometimes that breaks our heart, especially when we have something that we find so valuable and we give it to our children and they're like, (laughs) and they throw it over their shoulder. And you're like, no, you don't understand. Many times we go to experts to get it valued. They even make TV shows on this. And they ask for an expert opinion, not necessarily the cost, but what do they think they could get from it? But worth has so much more to do than just a price tag. Worth has more to do with what someone is willing to pay. And with our soul, Christ said it was priceless. And like the experts of antiquities or any expert at all, Christ is the expert of our soul. And he knows that the value and worth is so much more than we could ever comprehend, and that if it was left to us, we would just have left it into the trash can or sold it for pennies on the dollar. Why else would we have sinned? And Christ knows that we can't comprehend, so he decided that it is worthy. He's decided that our soul is worthy because he is worthy. So as we look at that line and we consider... Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world in sin and error and suffering from a mental and physical decline, especially of a broken heart because of our doing. So he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You know, when you've come to Christ, for those of us who have come to Christ, the saving relationship through Jesus Christ We don't know what was missing until we've seen that it's been missing. So many theologians throughout time has described the hole in our heart can only be filled by Christ. I would imagine everyone on earth, especially the shepherds in the field, as soon as Christ was born, all of a sudden their soul said, yes, we will be saved. So as we continue on and looking at O Holy Night, the next line is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Romans 8, 19 through 21 says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to Subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in the glorious freedom from death and decay. The world will rejoice. Sometimes I get so caught up in just thinking, at least for me, I'm so glad that Christ has come to save me. Oh yeah, you too. And of course, my children and my family, but sometimes it's so easy for me to forget that the world is waiting 
to be redeemed. Not only does our soul find its worth, the world rejoices and said, oh, finally. See that part in verse 20 of Romans 8? It says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. Isn't it interesting that the world sometimes has more hope than we do? And the world isn't the one that sinned. We are the ones who sinned. And yet, as the song goes on, for yonder breaks, tomorrow breaks, a new and glorious morning, the darkest part of any day is moments before the sun comes up. It's as if our soul should do a leap of joy in the hope that the world has because Christ is born. Again, think about when you've come, for those who have come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior, you, you were so overwhelmed and you knew. And then what is our response? It says, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night divine. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We've been doing a series here at Renew on Sunday mornings called Encounters, with Jesus, a walk through the Gospels and looking, how, looking at how Jesus interacted with different people or groups of people, and we've called them encounters. And if you've been joining us, you've know, you know that I've encouraged people to write down their encounters or type them out. And, and one of the encounters that I had read that I was sent recently was, I had no other response but to praise him and fall on my knees in tears. Our only response to this great night, to the fact that we were saviors saved by grace, is to fall on our knees. And as Philippians, and we've only read a portion of Philippians, Paul will go on to tell us, hey, regardless or not, everyone's going to do it. And to declare. And then the next line, after we have fallen onto our knees to praise our Lord, is a reminder now of what our response should be. So essentially, O Holy Night is walking us through the Roman road, if you will, uh, to salvation, the ABCs, the one, two, threes, whatever you want to call it, pointing out our sin and pointing out the need for a Savior, pointing out who is holy, God is holy, pointing out that a Savior is what is required to save us, that we can't save ourselves, and that if we put our trust in Him, our only response is to fall onto our knees and to praise Him. And then what do we do? Do we stay on our knees and praise Him? No. The next line of the song says, Truly He taught us to love one another. His law is love and His gospel is peace. John 13, 34 and 35 says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So he taught us, truly he taught us how to love one another. 
His law is love. Before in the Old Testament, the the law pointed out to God and how to come back to him through animal sacrifices. But now as Christ has come, his law is to love. And his gospel is peace. There's a peace. Which is interesting because sometimes it's tough to love people who are unlovable. But yet we are reminded that through the gospel there is peace. It has to be some unnatural, unworldly, far-off place that this love comes from, and it comes from Christ. So love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Every time I do a wedding ceremony, I always include somewhere to love your neighbor as yourself, and I remind both the husband and wife-to-be that, that are standing in front of me that their first neighbor is their spouse. And that sounds weird, perhaps, but if we perhaps can be reminded that the first place that our love after Christ goes is to our spouse, and then it's spread. And if you're single here this morning, you're not off the hook. You have neighbors, too. But Christ, he has brought this peace that can only come from him. And that is why during this Christmas season, we are reminded and need to be determined to have peace. Anyone here going to go shopping in about 30 minutes? Not so much peace. Anyone here has promised that they would not spend as much as they did last year? Has anyone promised that they weren't going to go overboard? Has anyone promised that they were going to keep the focus on Christ and had a hard time as you're wrapping your 30th gift? Because after all, it's all about unwrapping gifts. Sometimes expectation of Christmas is so difficult to manage whenever you're trying to accommodate for family and friends and if you're married and you're trying to determine who gets to visit who and who gets Christmas Eve and who gets Christmas Day and who gets January 5th, 2028. (laughs) But yet there's peace. His gospel is peace. Peace for our soul. If our soul is truly finding its worth in him because he tells us we're worthy, then we know that he can handle that. In the hymn, O Holy Night, it goes on to say, Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Philemon 116 says, He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And this is Paul writing and talking about how a former slave should be treated even though he had run away. And and he's talking about no longer there's a change. These chains are broken and there should be a change in Christ. And it's not just the chains of slavery, but the chains of oppression to sin. Perhaps one of the top five gifts is being free from whatever oppresses you before Christ, that you do not have to return. The chains are broken. And as D.L. Moody said, don't volunteer walking back into the chain pit and putting them on again. And as he continues on in this hymn, it says, Sweet hymns of joy 
In grateful chorus rise we, with all our hearts we praise his holy name. Colossians 3.16, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalm and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. When Paul is writing this to the people in Colossae, he's reminding them that this gift of Christ, this Christmas gift is not for you and you alone. And it's not for you and your family alone. That it should change the way that your family has grown. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus that we all sing together and we all praise. And finally, when we come together, this great chorus, it's, it's as if everyone is singing their part and being part of God's symphony. All singing our parts, all singing good. I can't wait until I can do that. But as we consider, what gives your soul its worth? What gives you peace? What causes you to fall on your knees? What do you recognize that the, how the world rejoices? What are you eagerly anticipating tomorrow? And I'll close with this. At some point tomorrow, I know at least for me, and maybe it's only me, sometime after service and sometime after the Christmas breakfast and presents and sometime after dinner, Sometime after everyone is unwrapped their presents. At least for me, I always find a little bit of sadness thinking, that's it? It's over? What about tomorrow? And December 26th rolled around and I'm kind of a ball humbug thinking, man, I wish it was Christmas again. Well, I can't wait till New Year's Day. Something new. Yet God gave us 365 days to praise him. And if our soul truly has found its worth, we will see that it's not the ending of a great meal or the ending of Christmas presents unwrapped, but it's just the beginning of praising God. So tomorrow, regardless of where you worship the Lord, of course you're invited here. And as you perhaps read Luke 2, Maybe at the end of the day, you'll read Psalm 105, which we will end the service here.